If you are not already there, please turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, which is a small book. It's only four chapters long. It is in between Obadiah and Micah. Right in between those two books. And as we open God's Word together this morning, please pray with me as we ask for His help. Our Father in Heaven, we come before You again as we continue in our service this morning. And we ask now that You would continue to quiet our minds and our hearts and that You would help us to focus them upon Your Word now as it is open before us. Father, these are Your words spoken by You. Yes, written down by Your servants long ago, but they are Your words put down for the upbuilding, for the edification, for the transformation of Your people. Pray that that would happen this morning as we walk through Jonah, as we do an overview of it. Pray that You would build up Your people, that You would confront us in our sin. You would remind us of the Lord Jesus Christ and His Gospel. Father, help us to receive Your Word with glad hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So you may have noticed that last week I put in the bulletin that we would be beginning a series in Jonah, beginning this morning. The series is going to last, according to my plan anyways, if you think about the past two series that we've done, both of those plans have been broken in some shape, form, or fashion. So my plan is that this will last the bulk of the summer, around eight weeks. And this morning... What we're going to be doing is a, an overview of the books, an introduction to Jonah. Originally, I was going to handle verses 1 to 3 and do the overview as we walked through those three verses. But as I thought about it more and more, I thought to myself that it would be hard to follow, maybe kind of complicated, distracting to, to walk through the three verses while at the same time considering the major themes of the book. So this morning we're just going to focus on an overview, doing an introduction, kind of considering the book as a whole, and then next week we'll actually begin walking verse by verse through the book, beginning with verses 1 to 3. So the way that I'm going to handle this introduction, the overview to the book... I'm going to look at some of the things that make Jonah unique. Some of the things that make Jonah unique. We'll look at some of the themes of Jonah. Now, not all of the themes of Jonah, but some of the main ones that really come to the surface. And then we'll consider how Jonah puts the gospel on display or how Jonah points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. So those three things we're going to consider in this introduction, in this overview, and then we're going to read the book together. We'll read the whole book. All four chapters won't take us very long. 
Now, I think all of us at some point or another have heard the story of Jonah. It's a very famous story. If you have any church background whatsoever, you have probably heard about Jonah. You may have heard the whole story. You may have heard parts of the story. Or if you don't, if you've never heard the whole story, if you've never heard parts of the story, you have definitely heard about the big fish that swallows Jonah. You know, at some point in the story. If anything, you have probably heard about that. That's what makes the, the story famous. But there are also other things within Jonah that make the story well known, that make it an interesting story just to read, and also kind of makes it a strange story, honestly, if you were to read it carefully and just see all the things going on. Things like Jonah gets called to preach to a very wicked people, the Ninevites. He gets called to to go and preach to them, which as we're going to see, is kind of strange. Jonah runs away from this call of God. God calls him to preach. He runs away. As he runs away, he he gets on a boat. He gets caught in this horrific storm. He gets thrown overboard into the ocean. That's whenever he gets eaten by the, the fish, the whale, whatever it was. And this fish... Whenever it swallows Jonah, it actually takes him back toward the place that he does not want to go. It takes him toward Nineveh and actually vomits him back on shore. (laughs) And then he receives the call to go back to Nineveh. He, He is recommissioned by God. So he ends up going to Nineveh. He preaches a very short sermon to the Ninevites there. Basically tells them, in 40 days, your city is going to be destroyed. But through that very short sermon, God actually relents from the disaster because the Ninevites, they repent. Jonah gets mad about the repentance. He kind of throws a little tantrum about it. He goes outside the city. He hopes that God will still somehow destroy it. He builds himself a little booth outside the city. Then he has a weird encounter with this miraculous plant and then a worm that eats the plant, and then he gets mad at God and basically says, I want to die. And then God asks a question, and that closes the book out, and that's how it ends. So it's a very interesting story to read. It keeps your attention very well as far as stories go, but it's it's very strange. But all of those things that I just named and all of the things that make Jonah well-known Those aren't the main purposes of the book. It's not the main purpose of the book. So if those things, if the fish, if the plant, if the worm, if the Ninevites, if all of those things aren't the main purpose of Jonah, then then what is? What's, What's the main point of Jonah? What is the main message that God is trying to get through this man and his experience? This is it. This is the main point of Jonah. To show that God is able to extend mercy, grace, and steadfast love to all people, including those we would least 
expect. That's the main point of Jonah. That's the main focus of the book. As we go through each chapter of this book, as we consider each passage, each verse, that's the main thrust, and that's going to serve as our purpose statement, so I'm going to read that again, just in case for those of you who are writing that down. The main point of Jonah, to show that God is able to extend mercy, grace, and steadfast love to all people, including those we would least expect. So now join me as we walk through those three things that I mentioned a moment ago, beginning with some of the things that make this book unique. The uniqueness of Jonah. So we find the book of Jonah in the midst of what are called the Minor Prophets. That's the section of the Bible that Jonah is found in. They're called the Minor Prophets, which begin with Hosea and end with Malachi. They're called the Minor Prophets because their prophecies are just shorter than, say, some of the main prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, prophets like that. Their prophecies are shorter, so they're just called Minor Prophets. But if you were to compare Jonah with these other minor prophets, as you read through the book, you would immediately find that Jonah reads very differently. Just look at Obadiah, the the book right before Jonah. Just flip over there and look at how it begins. It begins by saying, the vision of Obadiah. And then it immediately goes into the prophecy or the vision that God gave to this prophet and then he communicates it. Or if you look at Micah, the book right after Jonah, you have a little section talking about who Micah is and then it gets right into the prophecy that he was given. But Jonah, Jonah's not like that. It reads more like a a story, or a biography, or I should say an autobiography, because most theologians, most scholars, and I would agree with them, believe that Jonah is the author of Jonah. They believe that Jonah, at the end of his experience, he finally learns his lesson, he goes back home, he goes back to Israel, and he writes about his experience. And I don't want to talk too much about that because that's going to play an important part with how the story ends and how we're confronted with that question by God. So that's one of the reasons why Jonah is unique. And another reason is the primary focus is upon him. The primary focus of Jonah is on Jonah. The fish and all of those other experiences, they're just kind of... I mean, yeah, they're there... The author writes about them, but he just writes about them in a way that he just states, hey, this is what happened, and he just moves on. I mean, you would expect, hey, if I got swallowed by a whale or a fish and I was in there for three days, I would spend a pretty good time writing about that. Jonah doesn't. Or if I had a weird experience with this miraculous plant and then it was eaten by a worm. and I mean, you would think that you would write more about that. You would want to tell more about that story. 
but they're just there kind of in passing. The main focus is on Jonah and his experience. And as we read through this man's experience through these four chapters, three main themes come to the surface of the book. There are more themes in Jonah, but three of them really stick out, and they are this. First, we see the theme of the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is all over Jonah. You cannot help but just see the sovereignty of God as you read through these four chapters. Here are some examples. And these are just taking place throughout the book. We see, for example, God hurled a great wind. The Lord appointed a great fish. God appointed a plant. God appointed a worm. God appointed a scorching east wind. God appointed or God hurled. God did this. God did that all about the sovereignty of God. It's very clear that God is the one who is in control of Jonah, his experience, and everything that's going on. The second one is the grace of God. The grace of God, which going back to the purpose statement that I just named a moment ago, is very evident in this story. And it's one of the main things that comes to the surface. And here's some examples of where we see the grace of God. God shows mercy. He shows grace. He shows steadfast love on the pagan sailors on the boat that Jonah gets on. He shows mercy on them. God shows mercy on the wicked Ninevites that we'll learn a little bit more about as we go through the book, just how wicked and horrific these people actually were. And God shows mercy on them. And then lastly, the person that we would least expect, God continually has mercy on Jonah. Stubborn, rebellious Jonah. Man's supposed to be a prophet, right? He's supposed to be God's man doing God's will. And he continuously rebels. He throws fits. He hates the people that God is trying to show mercy on, but yet all the while God is showing mercy on this very man. And then the last theme that comes to the surface of Jonah, it comes to us in the form of a question. And this is very important. You need to keep this in mind. It comes in the form of a question. This question, do these two things, the sovereignty of God and the grace of God, do those two things fill only your mind or do they fill your heart as well? The sovereignty of God, the grace of God, do those two crucial things only fill your mind? I mean, do you just know about them? Do you just know that, yeah, they're, they're true about God? I know God's sovereign. I know He's full of grace. I know He's full of mercy. I know He's full of steadfast love. We just read from Exodus chapter 34 where God makes that known. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and what? Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Do you just know that? as intellectual knowledge, or does it fill your heart? Or you can put it this way. 
Do you merely have a mind or a knowledge about the kingdom of God and not a heart for that very kingdom? That's the question that flows throughout Jonah. And it's the lesson that Jonah himself spends the whole book learning. And I think finally at the end of the the book, when God poses His question to Jonah, I think finally he learns it. And so the question is, will we learn it? Will we continually learn it? Will we be a people like Jonah who know these things about God, but yet don't have them filling our very hearts? So those are the three main themes that, that flow through this book. Now there are others that we're going to see, but those are the main three that I want you to know, to write down, to continually keep in your mind as we walk through the book together. And now the, the last thing that I want to bring up as we do this overview together before we read the book, and that is how Jonah puts the gospel on display or how Jonah makes Christ known to us. Now this is probably going to sound a little strange to you as I put it before you, but just bear with me for a moment. So Jonah, overall throughout the book, yes, he points us to Christ in various ways, in various situations that we're going to see, but overall Jonah is himself a type of Christ. He, in a way, foreshadows Christ. And you're probably thinking, what? how in the world does this stubborn, rebellious man show us Christ? How does he foreshadow Christ? Well, this is how. Jonah is a type of Christ in a similar way that Adam, the first man, is a type of Christ. Think about Adam for a moment and how Paul talks about Adam in Romans. You remember Adam came on the scene and he was given the responsibility of being a steward or an ambassador over God's creation, but he failed, right? Adam failed. Him and Eve both failed. But Christ, as Paul says, is the true and better Adam. Christ succeeds where Adam failed. You know, where Adam succumbed to the temptation of Satan, Jesus prevails. Where Adam was supposed to exercise authority over God's creation and fails, Jesus doesn't. So Adam is a type of Christ in the form of contrast, you could say. Jesus is the true and better Adam. Well, so it is with Jonah. Throughout this story... Again, kind of similar to Adam. As we're reading the story, there's a part of us where we're in the background, we're reading, and we're thinking to ourselves, come on, Jonah, just do what God tells you. Just go and preach to him, man. Come on. God is trying to show His steadfast love on these wicked people. Can you not see that you're a sinner yourself? Just be obedient, man. Come on. Or like with Adam, as you're reading the story, kind of like when you're watching a movie. You may have seen the movie 15 times, but every time you watch it, you're just hoping somehow that it's going to change and they're actually going to do what they're supposed to do. You read about Adam and you're like, come on, man. 
Don't let your wife sin. Where are you at? Why are you silent? Come on, speak up. Trust God. Or other parts of the Bible. You think about David, who foreshadows Christ as a king. Jesus being the true king. Well, you see that episode where David fails. And you're thinking the whole time, come on, David. Don't, don't take Bathsheba. Don't, don't sleep with her, man. Come on, do what's right. Well, we think in the same way as we read about Jonah. But Jonah, again and again, he fails. He throws a fit. He rebels. He runs away. He gets mad. He throws God's steadfast love in God's face. But now think about Christ. Think about these two missions side by side. The mission of Jonah, how he reacted to it. The mission of Christ and how Christ reacted to it. Jonah was given the mission by God to go to a foreign land and to preach to a wicked people good news. He goes, finally, you know, after God actually takes him by this fish and puts him in the right direction, and he preaches good news, but then when God actually shows mercy, he gets mad and he throws a fit and he throws God's steadfast love in his face. Christ also was given the mission of going to a foreign land to preach to a wicked people, us. Unlike Jonah, Jesus doesn't reluctantly go. He goes with gladness. He goes with joy. He goes with obedience, always desiring to do the will of the Father. And Jesus doesn't only just preach good news. He lives the good news out. And then He dies and rises so that we can accept that good news. So as we read the story of Jonah and we are disappointed with what we see, we are pointed to the, the true and better Jonah. The, the true and better Jonah that we desire. The Jonah that we need. Overall, that's how Jonah points us to Christ. That's how he foreshadows Christ by contrast. And then like I said a moment ago, as we walk through the book together, there are going to be specific situations that point us to Him as well. Like when Jonah is thrown overboard by the sailors as a substitutionary sacrifice. And whenever he spends three days in the belly of the fish and then Jesus in the New Testament, he quotes from Jonah. He says, like Jonah was in the fish three days, so I will be in the heart of the earth. So we'll see instances like that as well that point us to Christ, that point us to the gospel. Now, let's read the book together. Beginning in chapter 1. And have all of those things in mind as we read it that we were just talking about. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and lay down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea, had, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head and at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the, vi with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, 
Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them, and He did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he, and he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. pray together. Father, we come before you and we thank you for this story, the story of Jonah. We thank you that although it may be a a rather strange story, thinking about all of the the events and the experience of Jonah that he, he goes through, 
We thank you that through this story, you put the gospel on display as we were just reading. Father, the Lord Jesus Christ is all over those pages. As we briefly talked about a moment ago, talking about how Jonah points us to the Lord Jesus, points us to the gospel that you have so richly blessed us with, the Lord Jesus Christ coming, preaching good news to us, living for us, dying for us, so that we can have it, so that we can receive repentance, so that we can receive new life, so that we can live in fellowship with you. Father, I ask that as we go through this story, you would continually convict us as this story puts on display our very own hearts. May we continually learn the lesson that Jonah learned so long ago. May you be with us, O Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.